The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash the subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. We love to hear what you saw as we break down our instant reaction to Week 8 it was a wild week eight. We had a lot of teams that showed up to week eight saying like, hey, look at me. I've got a zero in the loss column. Well, uh, Ole Miss, later. Oh, well, Syracuse, later. Yeah, it's a little tough to go undefeated, uh, and we are going to have a lot to break down, a lot of shakeup. UCLA also added to that list. There is um, a, a an amount of hilarity that happened today, right? We, we've got to talk about Columbia, South Carolina a little bit later. We've got to talk about um, the the off-the-radar games. We'll go conference by conference. But we begin with the top 10 matchup in Eugene and the saddest ballad that Queen Latifah has ever herself performed. U-N-I-T-Y. As Oregon led by Bo Nix, absolutely pours it on UCLA. The offensive explosiveness was something that um, I don't think was a, a massive surprise. I think that for me, it was more that UCLA didn't have the answers, but I want to go ahead and just sort of throw it open here. I don't want to dominate this, but what do we make of Oregon, a team that has one loss, that one loss is to the number one team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs. Bo Nix, who with five touchdowns is absolutely cooking. Like, is this 
what, what's the ceiling for this Ducks team right now? I think Bo Nix has really started to figure out. He's feeling comfortable in this offense, and he's going to be part of the Heisman conversation. The, a dark horse in the Heisman conversation. If you're going to fully yes. complete the meme, you got to include dark horse in the Heisman conversation. He's no longer a dark horse. He's a bright horse in the Heisman conversation. I I think the uh, the ceiling here is probably Pac-12 champs because they they did lose by so much to Georgia. But think about over the summer, we we, we weren't really sure what to make of Bo Nix because he had a couple bright spots at Auburn and normally didn't have good numbers. But Auburn also had struggled to put together an offensive line for quite a while there. And you go out to the Pac-12, and UCLA actually has a pretty good defensive line. Uh, but Oregon's offensive line is really nice. They protect him well. I thought Kenny Dillingham did a nice game, and, and they, they they got the ball out of his hand uh, on some of those misdirection stuff when he needed to. I think this Oregon team is pretty damn good, man. Uh, I when I saw the money come in on UCLA this morning, I knew I knew I was dead. I mean, not not really, because like even n- nobody bats a thousand, but I was like, oh yeah, okay. If it's going to those books, they're if they're going to seven, if they're going to like seven juice seven. This is this six and a half is probably dead. I'm I'm toast, and uh, and I was. So the main thing I saw here was just the finishing drives, right? Oregon scored touchdowns when it had the opportunity to do so. UCLA stalled out and had to kick field goals. And honestly, like they both moved the ball pretty well. I still have major concerns about Oregon's defense, but Oregon was able to actually hit the kill shot over and over again by scoring touchdowns. Yeah, Oregon won this game in the second quarter. Like they they scored 28 points. They had the onside kick. And it was funny. I'm, I'm not sure if the onside kick was just like a, a move of aggression trying to catch UCLA off, UCLA off guard. But I also wonder if there was timing on it in that before that, it was sunny and it was nice. Oregon goes for the onside kick, recovers it, scores, and then the clouds and the rain came. So I wonder if part of that strategy was there's rain coming and they wanted to steal a possession and get points on the board and then force UCLA to come back while down multiple scores in the rain. So I thought that was an interesting thing. But for me, just from a psychological standpoint, like this is the game Oregon loses and has been losing for the last few years. Like we saw in the season opener against Georgia, like they got crushed, but time and time again, go back to last year against Utah. Oregon looks really good against the teams that it's supposed to beat, runs up to one of the other top teams in the conference and gets, you know, gets beat up. That didn't happen today. So I feel like if you're Oregon, this was kind of a good psychological game in that you got, you got over a bit of a hump. And I do think that now it's like, them and USC and Utah, and I mean, they're definitely in contention for a Pac-12 title. Without a doubt in contention, they are the only team with zero conference losses, currently sitting first place in the standings at 4-0. They've got the head-to-head win against UCLA. They do have a matchup with Utah coming up on November 19th, but that game in Autzen Stadium as well. As a weather aficionado, Tom, it's no surprise that you are into the idea that they would be checking the forecast and have that go into the game planning here. And look, so the the recent results have been, for the most part, outside of that Wazoo game, double-digit wins, 40-plus points in pretty much every single game since the Georgia loss. But, all right, nerds, help me out here. Hasn't finishing drives been an issue for Oregon? Hasn't like making the most of those opportunities been something where they have fallen a little bit short, at least in terms of um, 
making sure that you get touchdowns? Because if that is one of the big takeaways, then that is a, a great sign for an offense with Bo Nix, with Kenny Dillingham calling it, like you said, that they are hitting their peak at the right time of the season because, look, Cal, Colorado, you know, maybe even Washington, like mm, you can probably be given your B minus B game and still be able to maintain your place in the Pac-12 title race. But to beat Utah at home and win that game against Oregon State at the end of the season in Corvallis, uh, I think that to know that they are rounding into form has to be encouraging for Ducks fans. They, they've been pretty good at red zone the entire season. Like okay. touchdown rate, they're at 73.5% going into today. And that was that's second in the Pac-12, and it is was 20th nationally. And I'm assuming that went up. It's UCLA who's been the one that kind of struggled finishing touchdowns once it got into the red zone all season long. And that kind of reared its head again today. Yeah, and uh, Utah also uh, struggles with that. So if, if that trend continues, right, if, if they meet UCLA again, which they easily could, by the way, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like we could get a rematch here. It, is this uh, is this in Vegas this year, or or is, is it home field? Do we know the the location for the? I Pac think it's Vegas. Band? I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty, but I think it's Vegas. Yeah, they moved it out of uh, Santa Clara, which is where it was for a long time. I think they uh, they're in Vegas. Um, what's more likely, a Oregon UCLA rematch or a Utah USC rematch? Oregon well, USC. Oregon. They don't play yeah. each other, do they? No, I said Oregon UCLA. He wants the rematch. Oregon, USC Utah. Oh, which one rematch? Um, USC Utah. Utah was off. Uh, USC as, was as well. What about UCLA? What's the bounce back here? What's the takeaway? I mean, they just they fell a little short in the red zone. I don't know who beats them the rest of their schedule with the exception of, of potentially USC and they host them. I mean, and by host, I mean, that'll be a, probably a 50, 50 game. It, it, it is in the Rose bowl. They're still a pretty good, pretty good football team, right? Like they have an excellent shot at 10 wins. I still think they're a pretty good bet to get back to the PAC 12 title game here. Uh, and if yeah. they do fa face Oregon again, it's going to be, can you get a couple red zone stops and can you not kick so many field goals? Like they, they move the ball pretty well. Yeah, but we we saw its two weaknesses today. Like the, the two weaknesses that the Bruins have had is finishing drives in the red zone and getting off the field on defense on third and fourth downs. It was the reason I talked about it during the week. The reason I was on the over in this game is that both of these offenses are great on third and fourth down. Both of these defenses are terrible. Oregon's defense was able to get some stops and hold UCLA to field goals. UCLA's defense didn't get any stops, and that's what's going to rear its head. So when I look at the rest of the schedule, they're probably going to beat Stanford. They're probably going to beat Arizona State. And they're probably going to beat Arizona. But unless they fix those things, they're going to be vulnerable. But when it gets to that USC game, that's an offense that you try to figure out ways to get off the field because they're going to be able to put up points on you. So that is the concern. But I do think that they're still very much like the Pac-12 is far and away from being decided. It is still all four of those teams have a legitimate shot of winning the conference. Tom, to your point, 18 of 30 on third and fourth downs combined between these two. Like, mm -hmm. That's really, really good. That's weird. It was almost as if Tom Fernelli was talking about how both these teams are really good on third downs and how both the defenses aren't, and that was an anchor of his pick for the over uh, whenever he shared it on CBS Sports HQ. Strange. Were you, uh, were you sweating this in the first quarter when no. it was 3-3? Three, three? Okay. Nah, I knew they were going to get going. It was a nice live opportunity, <laughs> I thought. Yeah. Did, did you get it live? Like, What did it drop to? 
Uh, I got a 61. Okay, that's some value right there. At what point did you stare down that Clemson live line? <laughs> like, well, maybe, maybe they won't. Maybe, maybe this is going to be 2016 pit. The last time, by the way, that the Clemson Tigers lost a game in Memorial Stadium, a.k.a. Death Valley. But that wasn't the case. DJ Uyunglele takes a seat. Cade Klubnick comes in. And while he was just two for four passing the ball for 19 yards, he was the quarterback for two touchdown drives. Had a couple rushing attempts. Will Shipley and Phil Moffa lead the way. And the Clemson Tigers, which started the fourth quarter down 21-10 to to Syracuse in a battle of undefeated teams, pulls away with a victory against the Orange. I am saddened that we do not get the Dino drop here. <laughs> sad Latifa, sad Dino drop. But the Clemson Tigers are able to remain at the top of the ACC Atlantic race in the ACC championship race. And yeah, I, we should probably save that because we're about to do a lot of like college football playoff talk for the next month. But what do you make of the Clemson Tigers, their quarterback situation, and the performance in this game against Syracuse? I mean, if you box score this, it doesn't really tell the whole story of how the game felt when you were watching it, right? It, it felt like Clemson was the better team but was sleepwalking constantly to me. I mean, they would just move the ball in the first half and then drop the ball, literally, while, while throwing it or just fumble it or just throw a ridiculous interception. And Chip, to your point, you bring up these live lines. Like Clemson, three consecutive drives – failed to get scores, and they went 42, 43, 32 yards turnovers, and then 49-yard field goal. Like, literally, throughout the first half, Clemson, with DJ in there, was moving the football. I mean, what, I don't know. I, I look at the comparison here. What they have in the – they had 257 yards in the first half. Like, that's pretty damn good. I mean, we're, we're on pace for a 500-yard day. It just felt like they were not crisp at all. They, they were not ready to play – uh, in terms of executing on a down-to-down basis and just avoiding the critical mistake. Syracuse had a little more edge to them. And I mean, credit Syracuse for hanging in as as, as long as they did. I I do think Clemson is probably a lot better than them because they outgained them by a, a boatload. But, man, that was, that was not the effort you wanted to see from Clemson. Like, they just weren't sharp. Yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> They owe the defense a lot because they did turn yes. the ball over four times and Syracuse didn't do anything. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it was like 16 to 28 points mm -hmm. of like swing in this game because it wasn't just that there were turnovers. It was that where was the interception caught at the 15 yard line? Where was the fumble at the five returned to 90 yards the other way for a touchdown? When was the other interception? Oh yeah. In plus territory. Like all of this was setting up where Scoring opportunities were lost. Uh, Will Shipley, even, who had a tremendous game, like a buck 72, something like that. He has a 20-yard run, gets to the red zone, and coughs it up. There was a disease going around Clemson, South Carolina, where if you got to the red zone, you just gave it to the other team. Happy homecoming, Clemson. This is what you did to the, uh, to the visitors. I'm glad you made egg salad and gave them the ball every time you were about to score. 
100% Clemson was out playing Syracuse on a down-to-down basis, and the critical mistakes almost cost them a shot at the college football playoff. And like as far as Syracuse is concerned, like Sean Tucker had five carries for 54 yards. Why the hell is that guy only touching the ball five times then? And after the game, Dino said, well, the way Clemson was defending the RPO, they were pretty much forcing Schrader to run, which, yeah, that's probably what you should do in that scenario. But if the defense is doing that, maybe call a play where it's not an option. Maybe just call a play to get the ball in Sean Tucker's hands without a read because he's your best player on offense and you need him. He was having a very good game and you're struggling to move the ball without him. So maybe figure out a way to get the ball to him. Uh, defensive line for Clemson, absolutely eight in the second half. It wasn't just the two sacks for Tyler Davis, the sack for Brian Brzee, uh, the half a sack for Miles Murphy. Uh, KJ Henry got in there with the sack. I think it was nine tackles for loss, five sacks altogether. But it was also back-to-back holding penalties. It was also a false start as you were stuck in that third and long situation. It was exactly the way that I think that Dabo Sweeney is going to approach all of these winnable games where we're just going to run the ball and we're going to let our defense go and win these games. And when the remaining opponents are a Notre Dame team that struggles to score against Power 5 competition, Louisville, Miami, and South Carolina, which, hey, Gamecocks could be a little feisty, but that game is in Death Valley. I think Clemson's going to run the ball and play defense all the way to an unbeaten 12-0 record and an ACC Atlantic Division title. Did anything from Saturday suggest that Clemson could be got by anyone left on their schedule? A better run defense could force them into more predictable situations throwing the football, and I'd be interested to see if it's DJ or if it's Cade, how they do there. Uh, but we we did talk in, in the, the Locks episode, hey, Syracuse's run D is kind of secretly poor. And Clemson ran it for 293 on those guys. I mean, take the sacks out, 315, 5.4 carry. And importantly here, only two rushes were over 20 yards. So, I mean, they were consistently getting 6, 8, 7, 12, like on the ground when they wanted it. And then they were like, oh, dropsies. Boom. That's ridiculous. But uh, they're... Chip, are you schedule one more time? If you could. The, the remaining schedule. The, the, the remaining schedule for those guys. Who, who do they have? It's oh, they, they start Dame, Louisville, at, yeah. Miami, and South Carolina. Yeah, at Notre Dame's the last road game. Louisville, and Miami, South Carolina is all yeah. at home. All right. I mean, like in theory, Notre Dame could stop their run game and force force them to pass. Notre Dame's run defense. Notre Dame can't. But Notre Dame can't score on them. Yeah. that's the problem. Correct. Yeah, South Carolina can't score on them. Pretty sure. Um, no, I mean you, you, you could sharpie these guys if they didn't play. Like, but this scares me because like they're so lack of sharpness. Doesn't make me want to use the sharpie on them. Yeah, if 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 they play horribly, they could lose. But they're gonna have to play horribly, and we saw them play bad today. Like I said, they turned the ball over four times. It's still one by six, and I think that when you look at the rest of the schedule. Maybe going on the road at South Bend, DJ has a terrible game, turns the ball over a bunch of times against a good defense, and the Irish are able to pull off the upset. Rule it out. Rule it out against any of those teams. But just looking at the matchups and looking at how those teams have played and looking at Clemson's overall talent and the defensive side of the ball, which, again, bailed them out routinely today, I don't see this team losing. I don't see this team losing until maybe the ACC championship 
if it faces North Carolina, just because maybe the Tar Heels can outscore it. We'll save it for the ACC little recap at the end, but they're going to face North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, sure I think now. it's pretty safe to say that yeah. they will be facing North Carolina. Hey, listen, oh. hot hot Cedar Fields went final with, uh, with the conference. Cedar Field. <laughs> so slightly cooler Cedar Fields. Uh, again, yeah, mm-hmm. we are going to, now before we get out of here at the end of the show, going to go conference by conference with some of our takeaways, make sure that we try and hit as much as possible. I just realized that when we spend, you know, 45 minutes on four games, like we did, I think two episodes ago, sometimes some things fall through the cracks. So we're going to try to make sure we take care of as many people as possible. So Texas fans are uh, in, in a special place right now after watching the Longhorns blow a lead to Oklahoma State, a team that blew a lead to TCU as the Big 12 continues to be entirely uh, upside down and providing some of the most excitement that we've got in all of college football. The uh, first half was incredibly high scoring, you know, took a loss on the underplay for sure. But in the second half, both these defenses settled in, but it was Spencer Sanders and the Cowboys who were able to come back and get a victory There is, I think, a a real compliment for the resiliency of this Oklahoma State team to be able to win the fourth quarter against Texas, but certainly a lot of criticism for the Longhorns as well. They were driving. This game was 34-34, like five, six minutes left. And you're like, all right, here we go. They're just going to keep riding Bijan, and they're going to get this thing all the way to a huge road win for Texas's Big 12 title hopes. Instead... Missed field goal, badly missed field goal, by the way. Oh, the wind. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I guess that is where we uh, where we celebrate the wind right there. Oklahoma State takes it the other way, ends up getting what would be the game-winning score, 391 yards for Spencer Sanders, two touchdowns through the air. And there's, there's a lot to digest here. There's an Oklahoma State side, a Big 12 title race side, but there's also a Texas side to this, right? Best best three-loss team in the whole GD country. Can a three-loss Texas get to the college football playoff? That's Oh, that's right. That's the headline of this video. I should have said it already. Oh, how, yeah. how a three-loss Texas team makes the college football playoff. Listen, I got to defend it. It's coming. I've said it. Quinn Ewers was terrible today. Chip, you mentioned it all week. First road start. It was clearly a problem for him in that environment. He was inaccurate on a lot of throws early that said i believe his and this is an unofficial count i believe texas receivers dropped 11 billion passes today and that did not help him overall either but no this is it's bad performance by yours uh and credit to oklahoma state man because like they came back they won that game they took over in the second half they held texas to only three points in the second half and Spencer Sanders still looks banged up, but man, he's gutting it out. 34 57, 391 yards, two touchdowns. They didn't really have a whole lot going on the ground, and they still figured out a way to get this game done. And uh, yeah, Oklahoma State, I think now, you know, it's you look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, they've gotten through some of the, we talked about the gauntlet they had to get through. Getting this win, I think, is huge because honestly, this was a game I expected them to lose. Yeah, I mean, th- this really, if if you're holding a ticket for TCU or anybody, just in theory, 
to win the Big 12. I think you didn't want to see Texas in there. And I bet you the rest of the league didn't want to see Texas in there either. Not just because Texas, kind of this week, going into the week, they kind of look like the best team in the Big 12-ish, mm-hmm. a little bit. Or at least they, they had shown some signs. But they also like because... the most dangerous team in the Big 12. That, that's yeah, a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. right. The, the, the team you probably really don't want to play if, if you could if you could avoid it. Man, yours was 19 of 49 today. Mm-hmm. That's... It really kind of felt like when when Sark was not scheming stuff up for him, just wide open, that he wasn't completing it. And to Tom's point, he actually did find some guys within the regular route like combinations, and the guys just dropped it. But man, how many balls did he throw away? Just in in, in the third, like the third row. I felt like every time I was watching the game, Quinn Ewers is like fading back. There's a bunch of pressure coming, and he's just chucking it up. We've given a lot of praise to Texas offensive line in recent weeks, and I think it was deserved. But now we need to praise Oklahoma State's defensive line for manning up when they had a lot of important guys out all over this roster. That was the one part of the ball that was still pretty intact. And they were just better than Texas' defensive front for the, for the final 20 minutes of this game. Now, te- or Texas offensive front, excuse me. Like Texas still had 523 yards, which is pretty damn good. But I mean, some timely tackles for loss. They, they got Texas off schedule. They – they could have had more sacks if Ewers wasn't so good at escaping and, and throwing the ball away. I credit that D line and they could use him just enough. And also, like on one hand, I I am sitting here just slipping on that comfortable sweater that is, yeah, you're right. Texas is one of the most dangerous teams in the country, and they're falling short of expectations. Gee, weird. That never happens in college football in recent <laughs> years. Um, but also there is another I don't, I don't, I don't do the whole like alternate universe, alternate reality things. But there are outcomes to this game as Texas is driving with less than six minutes remaining. Where if they score a touchdown there, field position changes. Maybe the defense, which despite giving up a half a thousand yards, also did come up with some impressive plays. I Texas was very close to picking up a huge road win in this game. Margins are so small here, but the narrative is too good. Mm-hmm. It's 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 too sweet right now. I I can't. I do not envy. Um, I do not envy the Texas fan in this moment because this was. Ah, they're used to it. They're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it doesn't even hurt anymore. But no, going back to your point about Quinn throwing the ball away, I cannot remember who tweeted it, but it. I was dying as I read it. Somebody tweeted that Quinn looked like an old veteran NFL quarterback who's just chucking the ball away as soon as there's any pressure because he's just sick and tired of being hit and wants to reach retirement. <laughs> there was some Matt Ryan stuff there for sure. Yes. Oh, <laughs> man. So disrespectful. Like, got that, he's got that veteran presence, the 38-year-old battered veteran presence. <laughs> um, While we are... Do you want to save uh, TCU K-State for later? Or you want to go ahead and, and dig in? I'll take it now. Let's dig. Okay. I saw quarterbacks die and come back to life. In yes. This I've seen this <laughs> all over the Big 12. I don't, I don't know how, but we are resuscitating quarterbacks in the Big 12 conference. Uh, Adrian Martinez, who had a lingering injury from last week, is not in the game. Skylar Howard has to come in and immediately leads a touchdown drive, a three play touchdown drive. Then Skylar Howard gets knocked out of the game. 
Then he is replaced. Then Skylar Howard comes back into the game, and all this happens as a resilient TCU team who has been flying so close to the sun once again for the second week in a row, storms back from a double-digit deficit. It's Max Duggan. It's Quentin Johnston. It's this opportunistic TCU defense. Uh, They avoid a home loss to the Wildcats that came and brought the fight to them. TCU undefeated still and in the lead in the big 12 probably given the rest of the schedule and we can get to that in a little bit need to take them more seriously as a legitimate college football playoff contender listen the following three things following three statements can all be true tcu is the best team in the big 12 tcu is very much in very much in contention to win the Big 12 and reach the college football playoff. TCU has a horseshoe lodged very far up its ass this season (laughs) because you mentioned the quarterback injuries. Let's go back. Dylan Gabriel gets knocked out of the Oklahoma game. They run away with it in a route. Close game against Kansas. Jalen Daniels gets hurt, knocked out of the game. TCU goes on to win. Last week, Spencer Sanders, clearly not 100%. TCU comes back and wins. This game, Adrian Martinez leaves the game. Will Howard comes in. Kansas State's winning. Will Howard gets knocked out of the game. The third stringer comes in, throws an interception on, I think, the second play since he comes into the game. TCU comes back and wins. Good teams come back and win in the moments like this, and TCU keeps winning. But, man, when it comes to injury luck, the Horned Frogs have been on the right side all season long. Yeah, um... If you're JT Daniels next week, you may just want to sit this one out. Like, like, I, 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 I don't know what time, like what, what date do golf courses close up there in West Virginia? Maybe if you want to go back home to SoCal and just hang out for a little bit. I just self-preservation here. He, he may be going pro, maybe going pro and something other than sports. I don't know. Uh, Tom, you're right. Like th- we talked a couple weeks ago about Mississippi State and how they had faced a bunch of guys who got hurt at the quarterback position, and we comped it to that Minnesota team from. 19. Yeah, 19, from 19. Yeah. Exactly. We were just like everybody Minnesota played. I think Minnesota was different. That The guys didn't get hurt in the Minnesota game. They were just didn't face them at all for a while. Uh, when I watched this, and I didn't have any TCU here, but I was like, man, TCU is going to lose because Kansas State is making incredible catches. Just stuff where it's like, wait a second, like his foot's really not out of bounds or – Oh, that's an obvious pick. I and mean, the guy reaches around like like bear paws him and just just rips that thing out for a touchdown. And you're right. Like I was like, this is not this this part of what Kansas State is doing is not sustainable. I figured TCU would mount a run, but the problem is if Kansas State has their quarterbacks, they're a great team with a lead because of how well they run the football. And they were up what 28 uh t- it's 28 to 17 at halftime. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that that was the thing. Like with the quarterbacks going down, it allowed you to get the ball back enough to where you could mount the thing and win by 10 points, which is crazy. Uh, I do think TCU is pretty good. This was not all on the quarterback injury, but like they would not have come back and won the game, I don't think, if Martinez had remained healthy. I mean, that's probably just Captain Obvious here. I did think Duggan did a very nice job of driving the ball on some of those inside routes. And a couple weeks ago, he was kind of throwing everything outside the numbers, and we were wondering like who was going to force him and just be patient. Oklahoma State did a little bit. He answered. How many times did he just like drill it in there in, in tight windows in good coverage? I was I was kind of impressed with Doug yeah. tonight. Yeah, I I wonder honestly like 
if Adrian Martinez never gets hurt, I think TCU might have still won this game because I think it would have been a lot closer because what Kansas State was doing before, and he wasn't in the game very long, but they were doing a lot of what I thought they were going to do, which is kind of like a two-man game on offense and the rushing attack with Martinez and Deuce. And it was effective before Martinez went down, and they really couldn't do that with Will Howard. And like you said, they were kind of getting a little little luck of their own with some of those passes and completions that they were driving down the field with to get points. But I wonder if Martinez stays in the game, I think this is lower scoring, but it's close throughout. So I think they still could have won even with Martinez. It was, in a weird way, the injuries just kind of changed the outcome in how, you know, how we reached it. Yeah, I said Skylar Howard. The 2016 Cactus mm-hmm. Bowl offensive MVP. <laughs> <laughs> but when you are the 2016 Cactus Bowl offensive MVP for the West Virginia Mountaineers, I'm, I'm going to remember you in my heart forever. Will Howard, who I think as our, our friend and uh, editor Ben Kercheville said in the workroom, probably threw some of the greatest passes of his college career in this game as uh, before he was knocked out and then resuscitated and brought back to life. In your defense, Skylar Thompson was the starter last year who Will Howard was the backup to. So Skylar Howard, Skylar Thompson, you just, you know, it happens. Yeah. I called, I called, uh, I called Will Shipley BT Potter on CBS Sports HQ last night. So we all do it. I've repeatedly, called, I've repeatedly called Adrian Martinez, Taylor Martinez on this show, like <laughs> many times. I'm, I'm glad we all have this honest moment here mm-hmm. together with us and thousands and thousands of other listeners and viewers at the same time. (laughs) Um, So TCU, as we mentioned, has everything ahead of them. Kansas state, like probably still a thorn just in this, in the side of somebody else. Like they, they've got a tough go of it where you have Oklahoma state coming up next at home, Texas at home. Then they go at Baylor at West Virginia, Kansas on the way out as we were trying to look at that four-team race at the top of the Big 12, does it feel like this result sort of knocks the Wildcats, at least from your handicapping, of trying to figure out who makes the top two? It puts them in third place. You can argue it puts them in fourth place. Because if if they lose, you know, it's it's not hard to imagine them losing next week to Oklahoma State, depending on the status of Adrian Martinez. And it's not hard to imagine them losing to Texas. So... They're not out of it, but I do feel like this was a game that they had to have, yes. Mm. Agree. Yeah, I, I think so. I, it, it's all going to come down to the tiebreakers, right? I mean, if you're if you're Kansas State and you beat Oklahoma State next week, then all of a sudden Oklahoma State might be out, right? Because they're, they're going to need you to lose yet again. Um, it, it actually it, it kind of makes the picture less clear to me. On as far as who the other team will be, I mean, clearly, like at this point, TCU can lose twice and still get in because it has tiebreakers over Kansas State and, and Oak State. They're probably in, unless Texas has, has two Big Twelve losses for Texas, right? Three overall. If Texas runs the table, they would still potentially get in because they would have a win over, over TCU, but that seems unlikely. Does it? Texas running the table, Texas beating TCU as like a well, no, 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 but but Texas running the table, yeah, because if Texas beats TCU and Texas also loses one more Big Twelve game, it's not going. I I think, yeah, Texas has Kansas State. The Texas is off this week. They go Kansas State in Manhattan, TCU at home at Kansas. Ooh, 
talk about the loss. Ooh. That's what that is. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not in Austin. They're fine. No, Jalen Daniels makes his return and just drops a dagger. Uh, and then Baylor at home at the end. Coming up on the other side, what went right and what didn't look so great with Ohio State's romp of Iowa and our predictions for the new college football rankings and a tour around the country conference by conference next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Tom, there was a lot of action going on during the noon slate. A lot of exciting games. The one you were live blogging. Was good for a little bit. Ohio State was it? It was never good at any point. Had something to talk about for a little bit. It was never good at any point. I just liked the Tory Taylor. Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to go? Yeah, I mean, yes, please. This is first. I don't know where to start because honestly, I have a lot of feelings about both teams coming off this game, and none of them are all that positive. Um, Ohio State scored fifty-four points. It was not a good offensive performance from Ohio State at all. Like they pulled away in the second half because at that point, the will and the spirit and the desire to go on living was sucked out of the Iowa defense as it had come to the realization that. No matter how well it played, it was never going to matter because its offense was doing absolutely nothing for it. Its special teams were doing absolutely nothing for it. So Ohio State looked pretty mediocre on offense, to be honest with you, for most of this game. And it's a concern for me going forward in that they've played two good defenses all year and they've looked kind of mediocre in both of those games. Now I say that on the sliding scale of judging it by an Ohio state offense, but going in the season opener against Notre Dame, they were really slow out of the gate, took them a long time to kind of find the rhythm and get going in that game. And even then they didn't light the world on fire today. They were very slow out of the gate. CJ Stroud threw one interception, but he probably should have thrown two or three. He did not look sharp. He looked, he was missing guys deep. He was missing guys who were open and not throwing the ball and just kind of, being sucked sucked into the pressure and kind of panicking. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. And, like, I know Iowa's defensive front is good, but Illinois was able to run the ball on them. Iowa, Ohio State couldn't. So that's a concern for me. I think if there's anything to be happy about, it's that the defense looked very good today. It had five sacks and ten tackles for loss. But, of course, we have to put that on the sliding scale of you're playing Iowa. Iowa. And, man, I... 
I don't know what I don't know what you do. Because like this was everything that's wrong with Iowa's offense was on display in this game. Like I tweeted at some point, I says, you know, I know Spencer Peters catches a lot of heat, but his coaching staff does absolutely no nothing for him. His receivers are doing nothing for him, and his offensive line are doing absolutely nothing for him. But when Spencer Peters does actually get time on those rare occasions where he's able to stand in a pocket, a pocket actually forms, and he's able to be there for a couple seconds, he's missing wide open receivers. And it's just, it is an abject failure at every single level on that offense. And I don't know how they get out of it because there's no receiver. The offensive scheme is, I, it's, I, you know, it's not even a scheme. It might be a playbook, but there's no scheme to it. I feel like oh, Iowa's goal on offense is to get in good punting position. That's like literally what they're trying to do. They're trying to win the field position game on offense instead of trying to score points. It's ridiculous. And they just, it's terrible. I feel bad for Iowa fans. I feel bad for that defense. Because like I said, that defense for the first half of that game did everything you could ask a defense to do against Ohio State to actually give your team a chance to win the game. And they got nothing from anybody on the offensive side of the ball, nothing from any of the coaches on the sidelines who work on the offensive side of the ball. It was just, it's its a pointless season from this point on for the Hawkeyes. Nothing they do the rest of the year is going to matter. I, I think there, there's an interesting point here to bring up, right? So at Adam Steinmetz in the comments says like, hey, this is the most points a friend's defense has ever allowed. What the hell are y'all talking about? And what we're talking about here is – because we know Iowa isn't any good, we're watching this game from the perspective of how do we translate this forward to when they have to play Michigan, to when they have to go on the road to Penn State in case Penn State brings their A game, right? To maybe the Big Ten title game, like what if Illinois plays really, really well that day or something, right? Or maybe to the college ball playoff. We're looking at it through that lens. We're not looking at it as like, hey, great job, you beat Iowa. You could have scored one offensive touchdown today and beat Iowa. That's not really the point. The point is that there are some concerning commonalities that we're starting to see when they play the really good defenses, and that is that these defenses are not allowing the explosive plays, and they're really making Ohio State's offense struggle in the red zone. And the thing is, Ohio State actually coming into this game was number one in offensive scoring in the, in the red zone in the entire country. So I know I'm sounding crazy to say that this is a problem, they actually struggle with this some last year, too. And the teams that can prevent the explosive plays from them do seem to reap the rewards, at least for a while, until the defense just completely I mean, just breaks because their offense is doing you know, nothing. Uh, but Notre Dame did this very well, right? They made them earn every bit. And mm-hmm. honestly, Ohio State kicked a bunch of field goals, and they didn't, do very, they didn't execute down there. We have limited opportunities to evaluate Ohio State in this type of setting because most of the people they play can't actually – prevent the explosive plays, so we never really have to see them get in the red zone, right? So that is where we're coming from, Adam Steinmetz, right? We just don't have a whole lot of opportunities to evaluate this, and so when we do, that's how we're going to look at it. Yeah, if if you just look at the points and you say, oh, wow, CJ Stroud threw four touchdowns, what are you talking about? They were great. All right, well, let's dig in. Out of Ohio State had 14 possessions. If you take away the two, the one at the end of the first half and the one at the end of the second half, in which they just knelt and ended the game. Of those 14 possessions, six started in Iowa territory because of Iowa turnovers or a really dumb decision to try to go for a first down on a fake punt. They had to settle for field goals on four of them. Here are Ohio State's drive charts. I I have a game. Do you want to play a game with me? No, go for it. It, it, It's about this. 
We're going to play a game called Punt or Score, right? I'm going to give you the yardage number of the drive, and the listeners can play along at home to see how if you think Ohio State scored or punted on this drive. I thought about this today when I, when I was watching. I, I, I knew you were about to – I had to jump in because you were about to read off how long the drives were, I think, right? <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. One. One yard. We think it's a score or a punt or a turnover, I guess. Score or no score? No score. It's a score. Darn. One yard One yard drive, field goal. Negative uh, 13. Fumble. That Yeah, that actually was. No score. That was, the, that was the scooping score. All right, 75. That was a touchdown. Yep. All right, four. Four yards. Field goal. Field goal. Uh, 17. 17 yards. Field goal. Mm-hmm. 22. Field goal. Punt. Damn. Uh, 24. Field goal. Field goal, yeah. Yep. If it two. wasn't the 17, I knew it had to be the 22. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then when the game was like, they only scored one touchdown in the first half. Mm-hmm. Ohio was, State, was, here. Here's, here's another way to put it. Ohio State had one, two, three drives last longer than 20 yards. Wow, that was a great offensive day, guys. You really showed them. It does speak to Iowa's offensive incompetence that Kirk Ferentz, like, do you think Kirk Ferentz is pissed now that his son's offense is so bad that he just gave up the most points he's ever allowed despite only allowing three drives at 20 plus? Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't three. It was uh, one, two, three, four, four, five, five drives of 20 plus. My bad. I think, it, I I think it's three, three before garbage time. Yeah. The garbage, like, they had. They had touchdowns on four consecutive drives in the second half, which is what I was talking about was Spencer Petrus had been benched for Alex Padilla, who threw an interception immediately that set him at the 15-yard line, and they scored on a touchdown pass a couple plays later. And it was at that point where the Iowa defense just was done. And then that's when Ohio State came to play. And that's the other thing, too. Like They really did not get going until Iowa was just checked out mentally. Mm. You really, uh, you're really missing the forest. All right. 28 touchdowns, baby. Doesn't matter when they come. Just make sure that he's the FBS leader in touchdowns and you get the program's first Heisman Trophy since Troy Smith. It's all that matters, right? That's the only thing that matters for Ohio State is let's get CJ Stroud's touchdowns up, let's get his yards up, and let's get a Heisman Trophy and let's make him the number one overall pick. And I want to be clear about one thing, because I see Ohio State fans getting their diapers full because we're saying that they didn't play well today. I'm not saying Ohio State's a bad team. I'm saying they didn't play well today. And I'm saying if they play like they played today and they played like they played against Notre Dame, when it comes time to play Michigan or when it comes time to be in the Big 12, Big 10 championship or in the playoff, you're not going to win playing the way you played today. And that's a problem. And that is something I would be concerned about going forward. Sorry. They. If they just get a little bit better in the red zone against the better defenses and their defense continues to play the way it's played this year, then I think they, they're still going to win the Big Ten. But they're trying to win something bigger here. They're, they're kind of in that same Bama mode, right? This is the last year with Bryce, most likely. This is the last year with, with Stroud. And if that's how they're looking at it. That's how I'm looking at it. That's how Tom's looking at it. That's how Chip and everybody on our show is looking at it. I don't think they played badly today. I I don't even know if I totally agree they didn't play well. I just don't think they played. A team that's going to win the national title probably wins by a similar score, but is up like 35-10 at halftime. And teams have noticed what Notre Dame and Iowa did to Ohio State today to get them out of sync. And teams are going to use that. 
They have to solve it. It's just how the sport works. Can Penn State do that? No. Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's like the perfect zig then zag, the way the college football seasons unfold, is that Penn State looks awesome beating a Minnesota team on its backup quarterback. Ohio State doesn't live up to the expectations. Ohio State goes into Happy Valley. Woo, yeah, here we go. Biggest game of the weekend, and the Buckeyes finally decide to turn it on. Unofficial prediction. We'll see when the lines come out on Sunday. Coming up on the other side, you know what else is coming out on Sunday? The new AP Top 25. We make some of our Top 25 predictions and bouncing all around the country, conference by conference, some of our biggest takeaways, one-liner results, what's important, what should we take away moving forward. We will do all that and more next When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A new AP Top 25 comes out on Sunday. And for the most part, I think that uh, we're going to be seeing not a lot at the top half of the top 10. But, you know, with the losses that we had in the back half of the top 10, there will be a little bit of shakeup, a little bit of jumbling. Ole Miss, obviously, is going to be taking a tumble here. So... Let's start with that game right there and the rankings impact. As Ole Miss takes its first loss of the season, now what is the best win on the Rebels' profile? 22-19 to against Kentucky? Mmm, tasty. What about the next best win? Is it Troy? I disagree, I disagree that it's the best win. Oh, Troy. All right, here you go. Oh, here comes I, Troy, boy. Troy, yeah, boy. Like, all right, hey, I, I look, Kentucky's a better team than Troy. <laughs> Beating Troy by the amount they did, I think, is, is going to be more impressive in hindsight. Um, to an AP voter, to an AP voter beating 18. a top twenty-five ranked uh, a Kentucky team will be there. So I LS- forgot Kentucky's still ranked. Okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Kentucky's a ranked team. <laughs> How they're, dare they're definitely you one of the top twenty-five the teams in the country. LSU was uh, right on the outside looking in just last week, and the only team ahead of them lost. That would be Purdue, which lost at Wisconsin. So LSU moving into the top 25 was, you know, already going to be a likelihood with a win. But, you know, the fact that you were beating Ole Miss and that you did it as emphatically as you did by a 40 to 25 margin where LSU really grabbed hold of this game in the second half. Uh, The pass rush was getting after Jackson Dart. They finally got a lead. And guess what? Ole Miss, when it's not defending a lead, All of a sudden, when it has to throw the ball, it doesn't click as well on offense. So 
my questions to you are what are your expectations for how far Ole Miss will fall after its one loss now removes the magical zero from the loss column? And what is the ceiling for an LSU team that six and two, yes, but also one of those losses is to Tennessee, a team that ranks number three in the polls, and you just got a win against an Ole Miss team that the voters had in the top ten. Here's my prediction. You ready for this? Ole Miss lost to an unranked LSU. UCLA lost to number 10, Oregon. Syracuse lost to number five, Clemson. UCLA and Syracuse will fall further in the rankings than Ole Miss will. Even though LSU got whipped. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, that, that, that Ole Miss got whipped, yeah. Mm-hmm. wonder why. I don't No idea. Yeah. I, I'm cool with ranking LSU at this point. I mean, they, they, they've had two dominant wins in a row. And we can say that UF isn't any good, but they're still like, what? what what's the worst we, we think UF could be? Like 50th, right? Like there's not yeah. 70 or 80 better teams than, than the Gators. Um, you know, so like to me, that that it kind of makes sense. What really concerns me with Ole Miss is their defense over the last three games has been like kind of straight up bad. And I was cool with Ole Miss being a, a top team this year even though we knew their offense took a step back, as long as their defense played the way it had played the first couple of weeks, which it has not done since. So they're not really playing like a top 15 type team right now at all. I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement, but it's really been the defense the last couple of weeks. Even Auburn yeah. made the ball on them. Yeah, because like if you look back, it's like the best defensive performance they've had in the last month was against Kentucky, but... I don't know how much of that was their defense as much as it was they were playing Kentucky. This is I I guess I'm I don't think they're gonna fall too far outside the top ten, honestly. They're probably gonna end up around eleven or twelve because if you look like UCLA is gonna drop, Syracuse is gonna drop, Penn State will probably come up, but I just don't see them plummeting very far. I think LSU could splash inside the top fifteen. Where do you here's a where do you think South Carolina is going to jump to? 25. You don't think they'll get higher Wait, than that? We think South Carolina is going to be ranked? Yep. They were almost ranked last week. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. What, what right. were we just talking about with Ole Miss? That's not a top 25 level team. Oh, I it's mean, going to be ranked. You see them? They, they have wins the over. They beat Kentucky without Will Levis. And then they beat the Aggies. And, and uh, King got hurt. So UCF yeah. lost at ECU. So that throws them out. Purdue lost Mm -hmm. to Wisconsin. That throws them out. I mean, it was basically all these teams that did get votes, a.k.a. like of the 63 AP voters, somebody already had them on a top 25 ballot. South Carolina is going to win that battle. So out real quick. Who does South Carolina play next? Probably Florida. Florida's going to have a buy because cocktail party, right? South Carolina is up next. They've got. Florida plays against Georgia Mizzou. cocktail party. Um, that's oh, next they've weekend. got they've got Mizzou at home next week, so they they could win that. Then they've top got fifteen Andy the week the after. Road. Oh man, that's what I'm Look saying. They could be a top, top 10, ten team South here Carolina? soon. Hell yeah, hell. Like where, where where's this train stopping? So Utah was number fifteen last week. That is the highest ranked two loss team. My theory is that because Utah is up there with the win against USC up in the top 15, it is therefore possible for LSU, an SEC team, 
to see a similar landing spot. Uh, Ole Miss falls, you know, probably somewhere around 13, 14, 15 as well. I've got UCLA only fall into number 12, but if it was more, as you mentioned, because for reasons, I wouldn't be all that surprised. I think that within the top four, we're going to be locked. I think that Clemson holds down number five. Alabama holds down number six. If TCU jumps ahead of Clemson, I won't argue it. I'm just not ready to... I'm not ready to take that step as a prediction of how AP voters are going to react. Yeah, I don't I, I don't expect it. I won't think there's a problem with it at all because if you just compare the overall resumes, they're both solid. So it's I, I think you could argue that Clemson and TCU should probably be ranked ahead of a couple teams that they'll be behind. Who? I mean, there's not that many spaces. Michigan. Mm. I would rank Clemson and TCU ahead of Michigan right now. If you're going mostly off resume and performance. I think Michigan's performance against Penn State, especially in light of how Penn State was able to flush that loss so quickly, probably speaks well for the Wolverines. The Wolverines, by the way, were one of five teams that were off this week from the AP Top 25. Yep. So is Tennessee, technically. Six. I've also, let's see, so the not ranked teams that are coming in, LSU and South Carolina, the teams that I'm projecting to fall out, Texas and Mississippi State. You've got some log jams up in here. You, know, you don't like, think Kansas State falls out? Nah. I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not arguing that they should. I just think that there's a chance they will. It's only their if, second if you're loss. In that, if you're in that back half and you're not in the, and you don't play in the SEC, I like, I think the patterns or the voters may just, just flush you, but a lot of these teams lost. So perhaps not NC state didn't drop out. NC right. state took a second loss and is still in the AP top 25. I think Kansas state will not fall behind NC state. And that's what I mean by log jam, North Carolina and NC state, both off right there in the twenties. That provides a nice little landing spot. Illinois was off. Utah was off. Kentucky was off. It's kind of divided into some tiers right now where I think Kansas State, even after the loss, is going to end up still ranked on Sunday. And I do think that quarterback injuries, you know, that was a, a game that everybody was watching because of the way it broke down. So I think that the voters will have their eyes on that and take it into consideration. Do you think there's any chance that because they took the week off and because of the Devin Leary injury that NC State falls out this week? Especially because I look like a team I was thinking about, Oregon State, had a really big, I mean, it was Colorado, but they crushed Colorado. They're now 5-2. and two. I'm wondering if just that might push the Beavers in and we could see the Wolfpack fall out. No, I think Liberty Biberty is more likely to uh, be <laughs> up in the top 20. <laughs> so, all right, like, let me throw something out to you here. They're six and one, and they crushed BYU. Yeah, but uh, BYU kind of stinks now. The only loss that Liberty has is a one-score loss to Wake Forest. It's fair. If so, the, uh, go ahead. All right, crazy talk here, but Louisville only has what two losses? No. No, don't no, do this. No, 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 no. Just, just, just hear me out. I, I'm not, not advocating to rank Louisville, but there is a team that has only lost to ranked teams so far this year, and that has wins over the LSU team that we think is a top 15 team, right? And that beat a five and two Louisville team already, and it hasn't been blown out in any game. I don't really know that I think Florida State is a true top 25 team right now. 
But resume wise, if you look how they've played, like they've played certainly, be- like their resume is better than Kentucky's. But if you had to fill out a rankings, if you had to fill it out every single week, you were going to be a victim of the moment. You were going to fall to trends and the way that things are swaying. And a three-game losing streak does not put Florida State on a single ballot. Mm-hmm. This is why Especially we see stuff like this is why we see stuff like LSU favored by one and a half points as an unranked team over a top ten team because voters are at the mercy of scheduling quirks. Like if the Knowles had played their three ranked opponents in the first week, the third week, and the fifth week, as opposed to all right in a row, they'd be ranked, right? It's just it, we're, like we're punishing these teams for sequencing, which is like yeah, not, not even their own sequencing, like the sequencing that's out of their control. But point spreads are just for gambling. They're not for results. Sure, but realistically, like if you did – there's no way that you would have a unranked team favored over over a, a top ten team. It was an actual top ten team. This is where like like the the zero in the no, loss no, column or the dash one in the loss 10, column. The only thing that defines them as a top ten team is the fact that sixty three voters consensus has decided they are the uh, top ten team. Mm-hmm. Right. The arguments are undefeated. For reason, yeah, yeah. That's a, there's only there's only twelve data points. That's what, it's imperfect inherently. How many votes is Texas going to get? It'll be. I know, I know one. <laughs> Listen, Texas will probably finish. I'll say with like 17 voting points. They will not make the top 25, but I think they will show up on enough ballots because it was a road loss and because it was a close road loss to another team that will be around the top 10. Texas will. I would set the over under around 17 and a half voting points. What about Arkansas? Like we, we feel like they're, they're pretty close to getting back up I and mean, they're, they're like the next SEC team up. We, we, we get into this thing. But yeah, see, they, they run a buy this week, right? Right. That was, that was sarcasm. Like I really don't, don't feel like Arkansas. No. I know, right. but I'm telling you right now, they're going to get votes. Yeah. yeah You're I mean, dead on. They're going to get votes. They've got a win over soon to be ranked South Carolina. So, mm-hmm. Like there's there's the value yeah, so, right there. So while the BYU win gets worse, the South Carolina win gets better. So, mm. oh, did Boise ended up finishing off Air Force? They did. Yes, good win for the Broncos. Boise State won't be ranked, but that's a team to keep an eye on. As they, they are a much better team now. Much. Ever since they made the change at QB and OC, a much better football team. Uh, Daniels got hurt for Air Force. By the way, has he? Yeah, like he came back in, I think, but. Yeah, they mm, tough. Um, if if you're listening to this before 2 p.m. Eastern time, there is a story on CBSSports.com called "Tomorrow's Top 25 Today," um, with a full breakdown of where we think these teams will be ranked and why. So be sure to go and check that out. All right, let's cruise around the country. Uh, let's start in the Big Ten. I mentioned it when we were talking about the top 25. Purdue duffs it early against Wisconsin. Uh, Talia Les Maryland storms back against Northwestern. Uh, Rutgers gets a conference win against Indiana. Storms back itself, yeah. Those mighty Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, What from the Big Ten stood out the most to y'all? Maryland. Honestly. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Tom. I just been hyping up Purdue 
it's a good team. And just like they only lost by 11, but it was not that close. Like it was 35 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And I mean, I took I took Purdue as my I, I locked him up on the show. They were my lock of the week in the column. Clearly, I did not see it coming. They got, they got into a hole early and they just things kind of snowballed from there. So I can't say I'm upset about it because it puts Illinois in first place in the Big Ten West, but I did not see that coming at all. Like, I wouldn't have been shocked had they lost, but the fact that they just got completely dominated in that game was very surprising. Um, so buddy of mine on, on Twitter named Eddie said, uh, now that I'm out of my pissed-off drunk haze, uh, Purdue was down to a walk-on receiver playing corner at one point today. I don't know all the injuries that led to that, but I had to look up who number 24 was because he was not on my radar. Bye week comes next week. We'll see how healthy they get. But yeah, Wisconsin did pace them. I mean, uh, you got to be pretty happy if you're Illinois that you already beat Wisconsin and are not having to face them now. Uh, Yeah, because that was the most (laughs) Wisconsin-y looking I've seen Wisconsin this year. Yeah. Yeah. when was the last time in a non-COVID year that Northwestern looked like they were worth a damn? I didn't work for CBS back then. I know that. <laughs> I mean, I, if if Northwestern didn't win today, they're not winning another Big Ten game because this was you know they Talia was out, they had a lead, and they still couldn't hold on and to beat the Terps here. This was just this was their last chance, and so they're done in the Big Ten. They're not winning another conference game. So they're not winning a game in in the United States, is what you're saying. No, they're. I think they're going to finish one and eleven. They are going to finish zero and eleven in the United States. Do they get records yes, or anybody like from the East that they could? There, here's okay. There's one game they could win. It's next They've week. Got Iowa on the road next week, but after that, Ohio State at Minnesota. That seems winnable now, but again, as bad as Minnesota looked today against Penn State. Northwestern couldn't beat Maryland without Talia. Like, why should I have any faith in them to beat Minnesota at Purdue and then versus Illinois at home? That's fair. I mean, I, they're going to be dogs in all those. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that program's just tough, man. I, I mm. but look, Stanford found a way to win a game, so maybe Northwestern can can as well. I, I, I have some hope for those guys, kind of. Bro, Stanford and Arizona State was a it was a football game. game. Yeah, it was, it was a football they, game. They played sixty regulation minutes divided into four fifteen minute quarters. Again, I, uh, I I said it earlier. Stanford snapped a ten game Pac twelve losing streak with zero touchdowns. <laughs> they didn't score a touchdown. No, five field five goals. Field goals. <laughs> That's how you get to 15 to 14 against an air. And by the way, Emory Jones had Arizona State driving, trying to win at the very end. Came up short. Absolutely brutal. Okay. The Miami Hurricanes <laughs> turned the ball. Let's, let's go to the ACC. Make sure I, I, I mark it. Eight turnovers. Eight turnovers you did away with the turnover chain and what have we seen since then the turnovers have piled up like the number of jewels that your press release told me was in that turnover chain every single year that you got a new turnover chain they lose to the duke blue devils at home and it's 
It is, first of all, um, a tremendous compliment to where this Duke team is right now because the Blue Devils turned the ball over early. Like Duke was not in sync to start this game. And not only does Duke storm back and take control of it after a bad start, they just beat them down in the second half. So that's where Miami is right now. Three and four, one and two in conference play and getting run out of your own building by the Duke Blue Devils. They have gone, they have lost four of their last five games, the lone victory being a 20 to 14 win against Virginia Tech. Florida, Florida State, oh, Virginia is next, then Florida State, then Georgia Tech, then Clemson in Death Valley, then Pitt at home. Are the Miami Hurricanes a bowl team this season? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, there is so much about this game that is just wild to look at. Okay, eight eight turnovers, which is the first time that's happened since 2009. I think I think we said 13 mm-hmm. years in, in in an FBS game. That's kind of wild. Uh, Tom, you ever seen a game have 66 points with less than 700 combined yards? Because these guys pulled this thing off today. 336 for Duke. 327. For Miami, if you were live betting unders in this game because the offenses both look kind of like crap, you were pulling your hair out because they were like, oh, look, hey, you don't need to have a good offense if you start with the ball on the opponent's 20 every time. It was like they were playing old school overtime for 60 minutes. It was wild. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how many snaps are actually taken in the middle of the field today. There were some areas of Miami that I thought not necessarily were improved, but like because obviously like I took him on a sprinkle. I think Chip took him uh, to lock up Duke. Like we we saw we saw this could potentially happen. And because Miami fans do not care about the program unless they're playing FSU or a really big team, because they're just huge bandwagoners and they go to the beach, like we said, or if it rains, they don't come to the stadium. So there's <laughs> no home always have to take shots. There's no home field advantage there. It's a joke, right? You get like one billionaire and it's like they're okay, cool, but like they don't people don't actually go to the games. Every recruit gets their own row in the visitor section. All right. So, but there were some things I thought might be improving about Miami, right? I still like their defensive line. I thought their secondary was getting better. And ultimately, I thought the offense could be getting better as they were starting to get guys back. They got Jacoby George back today. They didn't get Zion Nelson back. I'm pretty sure offensive line. They had another guy out on the O-line. But when, when the QB gets hurt, I was like, okay, that's probably not great. It just doesn't look like a well-coached offense right now. It, it, I mean, duh, it, it, you, you turned the ball over eight times. That's kind of an obvious statement. But did they downgrade offensive coaching? Because they just look – they don't look coached. It's crazy. No, it's, I've, I've been harping on that since last year. Not a big Is it Cristobal, though? Because we said the same kind of stuff about Oregon's offense through multiple OCs there, right? It could be. It one million percent could be. And, Josh and, Gaddis just won the Broyles. Like, I know Michigan's offense doesn't look any worse without him, but it, I'm, I'm having trouble separating. Like, is it Gaddis? Is it just new stuff? Is it Cristobal? What What is it? Running back and wide receiver were better at Michigan than they are in their current yes, iteration. Sure. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Can I Can I read this? I feel like I have to read this. This is from Message Board Geniuses. It is from a message board that is not a 24-7 sports Miami message board, so I will not name it. But a user, a Miami fan whose name on this message board is Cover 3, 
left a message titled, I caused mayhem in the blue lot. I fight at tailgates. I was walking to my car after the game and a Duke fan started running his mouth to me. Big mistake. I'm not sure what exactly he thought what he was going to accomplish because he was unconscious within 10 seconds of yapping to me. His family was in horror and there were a few Canes fans cheering me on as I drove away. My wife refused to get into my car with me and took an Uber home instead. F this team. How was your Saturday? So shout out to Kevin Clark, who clearly posts under the name cover three on Miami message boards. <laughs> Are they a bowl team? I hope it's a listener. And if it is, come on, there's no need to start fights and tailgates. Like it's, it's a Duke fan beating up a Duke yeah. fan. It's like, it's like going to preschool and beating up a preschooler. What are you really accomplishing? If he does end up having to do time for knocking this guy out, though, what we do ask is that you take all of your fellow cellmates' phones and you give us those five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's really <laughs> what we need, right? Like that's a, that's an untapped market for us. Think about it. Just just prison wide population with, with with those iPhone five star reviews. Like that could be that could work. Um, are they a bowl team? Like, here's the problem. Okay, they're going to be favored over UVA. Yes. Because yes. eight eight turnovers is not actually sustainable. Their offense was actually bad. I mean, four point eight yards per play. When Garcia got in there, he actually hit some explosive pass plays to start. I was like, oh, maybe Garcia is actually better than Van Dyke. I don't know that he actually is, but it, the, the thought crossed my mind when Miami stormed back. Because if you look at what they did coming out of the third quarter, it was yeah seventy two yards touchdown, thirty nine yards touchdown, thirty three turnover on downs. And in the final four uh, drives were just hilarity. I mean, fumble, pick, pick, fumble uh, for a total of 24 yards combined on four drives, which is bad. But, man, I do not think they're going to put it all together. It is not completely out of the realm of possibility that they do put it all together. And if they do put it all together, they're easily a bowl team. If they put it together three more times – are they going to be easily is not part of this. There's no way that easily is part of put it all together. And there's no way that. No, no, no. Like, if they put it together, then they're easily a bowl team. You I'm st- not saying they're going to easily put it together. Well, the I order mean, you still have to get three <laughs> wins. And that, yeah. I mean, this comes down to them being five and six and hosting Pitt in the who cares like game of the week, where like That's literally who. Like, is Miami going to show up for that game motivated to finish six and six and go play in the Sun Bowl or go play in, I don't know, whatever the bowl game that Miami would go to because they are a national brand? Like, they're going to end up getting shipped out to California or Texas or somewhere outside of the ACC footprint. Maybe they go to Detroit. Maybe they go to Detroit for uh, the Little Caesars Bowl. But here's the transition for you. Who's more likely to miss a bowl, Miami, Louisville, or Pitt? Because Louisville beat Pitt today 24 to 10 in a game that was much closer than that, but Louisville scored or pulled away at the end. They're both four and three now, but if you look at the rest of their schedules, Louisville's remaining five games are Wake Forest, a James Madison team that's kind of fallen apart down the stretch here, but then they're at Clemson versus NC State and at Kentucky. Pitt 
is four and three, which means it needs to win two more games. But it's at North Carolina, Syracuse, at Virginia, Duke, and at Miami. So of those three teams, which one's the most likely to miss a bowl? Because I have a feeling at least one of them will. Do we know? Uh, okay. Miami, because Mario Cristobal was calling out the players in the postgame press conference, talking about if you can't execute, then you're not going to be on the field. I think not good Miami. Yeah. Um, do we know what the injury was for, for, for the, uh, the JMU quarterback? Because he didn't play today. No, I do not know. If he's out, it's definitely not Louisville. Like we, he, he's been playing really well. If, if Jamie does not have him, Louisville will beat those guys. Todd's and then they just need to get – yeah. Um, I guess it's Miami. That's crazy. I agree. Yeah, I know. And it's funny, too, because you think of the timing uh, and Oregon winning at UCLA. So Oregon looks fantastic right now. And then Mario's at Miami, and we're wondering if they're even going to get to a bowl. So – it's been a good day to be an Oregon fan. Been a great day to be an Oregon fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I hadn't considered I spent so much time thinking about Oklahoma and USC fans and thinking about their coaches. I didn't think thought about the like, did you see former Oregon coach Rich Brooks popping off yes. on Twitter? Yes. No. Rich Brooks said, congratulations to Oregon. Tough win. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. You know, great congratulations to Coach Lanning. By the way, did anybody see the Miami score? <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. Chris uh, Brooks, just I, I love him on Twitter, man. He, he just does his own thing. Phenomenal, it's, phenomenal stuff. All right, we got Big Ten. We got ACC. All right, what about SEC? Tennessee cruises 52-7 uh, at halftime. The alpha nerd nearly becomes the beta nerd against Vanderbilt. We mentioned South Carolina getting the win against Texas A&M. I guess, man, like I feel bad that we've gotten all the way here to the 75th minute before like Jimbo Fisher jokes. I feel like people wanted those like a little bit earlier on, but I don't know. They're just not as fun for me anymore. Do you, are you enjoying this Texas A&M season? Because I find it miserable. I, I – uh it just feels stale because they've done the same thing for the last month. I will say um, this is going to sound crazy, and, and I, I know it, it kind of is, but I was actually not unimpressed by the Aggies tonight. They're down a lot of guys. They actually moved the football probably better than South Carolina did. South Carolina took the opening kickoff back in this game then they had a pick, which was almost a pick six, and then a fumble recovery, scored 17 points, did almost nothing the rest of the game. The AM's offense looked better than South Carolina's. If you roll back about 30 minutes to where my face is just incredulous that South Carolina might be ranked, and look, congrats on South Carolina. That was a clear spot. I, I took them. I think a couple other guys took them on, on the pod. I know like on, on the money line as well. It was an obvious spot, like a get-right spot, and a game that meant a lot more to South Carolina than it did the Aggies, but South Carolina's offense still looks like crap, guys. It really does. They, uh, they're they not very good. We got to see Connor Wegman because Haynes King had a non-contact shoulder injury. Can we, can we use that term, mm-hmm. I guess? Chip, did you see this? Mm-mm. He fell down. He fell on his bottom. Okay, so, yeah, but like, like it, it was almost like his arm came out on the follow-through. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that's uh, it's like a baseball throw injury. Right. Um, so Wegman was okay. They just had 
eight false starts on the night, which seems like a lot. The broadcast was talking a lot about uh, how you may want to figure out a way to use like a, like a silent count or a clap count as opposed to just trying to call out all these, you know, it's Jimbo's offense on the road. He, uh, yeah, he's two and I think, I think Feldman said he was two and eight in his last 10 against FBS teams. Mm-hmm. And tough. you mentioned, you mentioned South Carolina is like getting out to that 17 nothing lead. And yeah, they, they scored on the opening kickoff. And then after an interception, they had a four-play, zero-yard field goal drive. And then after a fumble, they had a four-play, 19-yard touchdown drive. So on offense, they had 19 yards on eight plays, and they had a 17 to nothing lead. Yeah. Eight straight wins for Texas A&M. Snapped by Jimbo Fisher. (laughs) Over South Carolina? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Damn, yeah. that really been a rivalry. That, that's that's like back to the Kenny Hill days. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't they? Uh, they're permanent cross division. Permanent cross division. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's throw out the record books when these two get together, folks. Because wow. Now this so is, you, I mean, you actually can throw out the record books because it's not that heavy. They're yeah. much smaller than Jimbo's playbook, dude. But, you, did you guys did you guys watch this game at all or were you just kind of tracking it? I, I did kind of, watch it. I, yeah. I, I had side TV for a little bit, but then I had to have my head down writing for a little bit, so I wasn't the the only redeemable part of the broadcast was the booth eating the entire game. That was really it. Like the game was terrible, but Jordan Rogers getting carnal with corn dogs, Cole Kubelik housing a donut burger. These are what I tune in to see. And it was, it delivered. The State Fair at South Carolina looks amazing. I want to go next year when South Carolina is hosting a home game during the State Fair. Props to the producers for realizing this game might completely suck and realize <laughs> like we, we needed a lot of backup material here if this game plays out anything like we could project that it would. So, um, in the Big 12, Baylor holds off Kansas. Texas Tech rocks West Virginia. We already mentioned the Oklahoma State-Texas game and TCU getting the win against Kansas State. Anything stand out there? Kansas is kind of falling apart at the seams. I don't Just, know, man. Jason Bean was still beating down that back door. He was trying to get in. He was really trying to get in, but Baylor locked it up. Yeah, but still, they're just not anywhere near as efficient offensively with Bean as they were with Jalen Daniels, and defensively, they're still a sieve, and Baylor was able. I mean, Baylor, like, Blake Shapin did not play well in this game. He had one touchdown, two interceptions, 164 yards, but Richard Reese ran for 186 yards and two touchdowns. That's just – a that's been a constant problem for Kansas over the last month, and it's really catching up to them, and now it's, you know, great story, but – I still think they're going to get to a bowl game, but like I don't know how much further they're going to get. And it's just strange because Kansas, if you're saying at the beginning of the year, Kansas is going to get to a bowl game, you're like, oh, hell yeah, that is a fantastic season for Kansas. It's just the way the, the order of operations of things that are going, starting off the way they did, and it's going to be like probably a pretty down finish. It's kind of going to put a damper on what should be an excellent season overall for Kansas, just based on what we expected preseason. They need what, one or two? One. They need one. And they've got Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Texas, and Kansas State left. So it's not a guarantee. I think the they need Jalen Daniels to get back. All of those teams, except for Oklahoma State, run the ball really well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that 
that could be tough. I I could see them next weekend, honestly. Uh, or well, they, they get a bye week, but Oklahoma State lost another another guy today in the secondary, so maybe that Kansas offense is able to confuse those dudes. But that's that's a tough ask. Um, Tom's right though. Like guys, Kansas just gifted Baylor twenty one points. Right, yep. off, not twenty one, but definitely fourteen right off the bat because they they had a fumble deep in their own territory. They had a punt that was like a. I mean, it was like a 10-yard net. And so all of a sudden it was 14 nothing Baylor immediately. And that's just a that's a tough team to play if you're down because Baylor has a pretty good offensive line and they're able to run the football on you guys. It's tough. He's not here tonight with us, but Coca, I'll ask for you. Is Neil Brown gonna get fired? No. No. no the the buyout is uh is is apparently really nice. Yeah, that the athletic was... director has uh sort of let it be known that this ain't gonna be the year, but they were terrible today against Tech. You, you got eyes on it because I, I just box door scouted that one, and I was curious, like, how did just, that go down? Just, ugh. like, I mean, Texas Tech played well. I'm not going to take anything away from the Red Raiders. They they came out, they took control of this game, and they held on control the entire time. But West Virginia just offensively, nothing, nothing to offer. Too many turnovers. JT Daniels threw three interceptions. I think there was a fumble too. It was just, it was. Awful, and it's one of those situations where it's like if you're a West Virginia fan, because like you said, if if he's coming back next year, I don't know if there's a quick fix because it's just uh, this. It's probably going to be another lost season. Um, Texas Tech did it again, six of seven on fourth down. They're good at it, man. Those are, yeah. I, I find I feel a like margin they, they... you can exploit and exploit the hell out of it. But you got to call your third downs in conjunction with 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 mm-hmm. mentality. Mm-hmm. So it's it's okay to get four yards on 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 third and six. We're, we're going to go at midfield. We just know we are, and you don't wait around trying to decide. You just know the play while the defense is still. I think there's an efficiency there somewhat speeding up to go on fourth down because a lot of these guys are like, oh, are they going? Like we're, they're looking they're looking for the punt return team. Are they coming on? What are we doing here? And Texas Tech's just going. In the Pac-12, as I mentioned, uh, Stanford won 15 to 14, uh, Oregon State 42, Colorado 9. And as we are talking right now, third quarter winding down, 14 to 14, Washington at Cal. And watch out, Marshawn Lynch is riding around on golf carts. Is this the Marshawn Lynch game? Is he there? Yeah, he's there. They've got he's on the back of the injury cart. He's just he's not driving at this time, so everybody should be safe. But he is there and they're doing it. (laughs) Washington had a real shot to put this away early, and then they just screwed around in a red zone twice. It it easily could have been like 17 nothing and a half. The one thing I wanted to talk about from the Pac 12 this weekend, though, that we didn't already touch on. We kind of touched on it a little bit in the ranking story. Is Oregon State good? They beat Colorado 42 to 9. They are now 6 and 2. They're bowl eligible. They've beaten Boise, but that was the early season Boise. They lost to USC by 3. They got crushed by Utah, but they've picked three straight wins against Stanford, Wazoo, and now Colorado. They get Washington on the road next week, Cal, Arizona State, and then they finish with Oregon in the game formerly known as the Civil War, but they stopped calling it that for a reason I've never truly understood. Is Oregon State good? Good enough to beat Oregon 
and play spoiler, not good enough to win three of the four remaining games. The margin for error with this team is small, but the ceiling can be high when everything clicks. I'm a little bit lower than Chip is on these guys. I mean, the the, the wins have been really, really thin, and the losses have been at times big, but also that like they did play, they played a hell of a game against USC. I think they're well coached. They we talked about this in in like probably May or June, how concerning it was. Like they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for a transfer quarterback. And what that told us was that they were really concerned about their quarterbacks. And Nolan's down and the backup is not really very good and they don't have quarterback play. They have a defense that plays hard, doesn't have a lot of speed, and they have a very good run game. And they have an explosive guy in Trayshawn Harrison. Is the tight end back for them? The the, the dude who kept missing all his games? Because he I seems to matter. Don't think so. And making making it to a bowl is a nice accomplishment for them, though. Like I, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be like dismissive. Like they'll probably lose two of the four remaining games. But. So you think they're going to lose to Washington and Oregon and beat Cal and Arizona State? No, nah, it'll be weirder than that. Lose to Washington and Cal. That's not Pac-12 enough. Yeah, beat Arizona State and Oregon. <laughs> oh, God, they would beat or- – like, imagine yeah. like Oregon's like the playoff hopeful at that point, and then Oregon State just beats them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Gosh. In, in Corvallis. Yeah. Yeah. That's – kind of how it goes um anything else from the day that we want to make sure we get out before we uh get out of here uh gus got his i don't know how he lost that game in yeah that's uh the ecu 34 to 13 gus has one of those in him every single year the the night slate was just hey let's drive into the red zone and throw picks ucf pit (laughs) whoever else wants to join in on the party is like cool like yeah they're driving looking good my cover. A week after coming back from down, what, 28 against Kent State, Toledo blows like a 20-point lead against Buffalo. The Bulls oh. scored scored 24 points in the fourth quarter to beat Toledo 34-27. to Okay, Buffalo did not have an offensive touchdown in the first half. They had a fumble six and then just whipped him second half. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hawaii getting the cover. Couldn't quite get For the Paul. win. But Paul and the Bows got the cover. You listen to uh, Thursday's Locks edition. You got to hear that. So, uh, you know, Colorado State. Also, oh, another thing that was pointed out to me. Sorry, I should have mentioned it in the SEC portion. Steve Adazio on Texas A&M staff. You want to know why things started going downhill? What's he doing on the Texas A&M staff? He's their own line like coach. an analyst. He's their own. No, line. I did not he's know their that. Line coach, yeah. Huh. Oh well, now it all makes sense. <laughs> it's the Brian Van Gorder <laughs> theory. Barton Simmons <laughs> followed Brian Van Gorder at every stop and faded him. I mean, I don't know if you can bet on American Heritage games, but you know, <laughs> at every stop. Fade Brian Van Gorder, Steve Adazio, Colorado State made me think of it. Steve Adazio, Texas A&M head football coach. Ever since he showed up, what's happened? 
Hmm. I can't I can't believe Adazio is on his staff, and I didn't know that. I'm slipping. Uh, their uh, their center, false, but compassionate. Their center, who was pretty good as a, as a freshman last year, um, Foster. I he's out again, and they just I, yeah I felt bad for the backup. That, that was tough. Adazio's over there with a whiteboard, like trying to draw a bunch of stuff, and they have it on an easel, which is kind of it's a nice touch. If you have all the money A and M has, you you can like bring in a nice easel. It looks looks classy. And uh, they're just furious of trying to draw some stuff. It's like, this is I'm not sure this is going to work at all. Sad Shout out, Troy. Oh, yeah. Troy boy. Troy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Coming for the big belt. This is a Troy pod Troy now. boy. <laughs> all right. Shout out, Frank Harris. UTSA is like the walking wounded of the sport right now. I don't yeah. know if there's, there's another team out there that is more banged up. And not only does he go and just drive him down the field and maybe tie the game, he goes and just in the, in the final seconds just shoves, touchdown. Over and over again, just that dude's a stud. And I don't know if he's going to be an NFL guy. He's got kind of a funky throw motion, but like, He's really, really good at quarterback for UTSA, man. I, I'm got, got got to give that guy his props. So shout out to Rice in Louisiana Tech who played a banger of a game. Rice won forty-two to forty-one in overtime. But what I respect is Rice got the ball, scored first, goes up forty-two to thirty-five. Louisiana Tech scores and then goes for two because they were like, "Screw this." <laughs> Or just let's let's try to win this damn game now. This 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 game's getting stupid, and they didn't convert. But I just respect the fact that they went for it. It was a really fun game. I had it on an extra screen during the day. Just it's like every time I looked up, somebody was scoring. Love Frank He's- Harris delivers. I mean, it's it's like the Jake Hayner trophy. We can add it to the uh, add it to the superlatives. You put your body on the line for yes. college football. Uh, mm-hmm. Superlatives, by the way, are not going to be this week because last year we made that mistake when there was still a Saturday. Even though it was the last Wednesday of the month, there was still a Saturday in the month. So we will not be doing our superlatives until we get all of the October Saturdays, which include next week, week nine, October 29th, in the books. So if you got any nominations, feel free to holler at us. Uh, get at us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast if you want to tweet at the show. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you guys. has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 